Welcome to Catholic in America. Today we will be talking about why you should become Catholic. We'll discuss some people's problems or struggles with the Catholic Church, some of the surprising reasons why people are becoming Catholic, even many Protestant ministers, and our own stories of conversion. So if you've known someone who's become Catholic and you're like, why would they do that? This is the show for you. Welcome to Catholic in America. Today we're talking about why you should become Catholic. So if you would, please like, share, and subscribe this show if this is meaningful to you, or even if it's not, to pass it on to someone else. So guys, when we talk about this, talk about pe people becoming Catholic, or the idea of becoming Catholic, for many people who, maybe who are non-Catholic Christians, Protestants, or Evangelicals, that idea can seem really difficult. It can seem really foreign to them. So what are some of the objections to becoming Catholic, or even considering the Catholic Church that, that you've heard or encountered? Yeah, I mean, I remember growing up in a, um, in a very uh, Protestant town. There wasn't even a Catholic church in that town. Uh, very small. And on one corner was a Methodist church, which is what I went to. And on the other corner was a Baptist church. And so we would always share, you know, revivals together and those sorts of things. And I think back now to when I was 15, going over there to a revival uh, over in the Baptist church. And I remember the pastor talking about the, the Catholic church being the den of Satan. Wow. Yeah, seemed really, really bad. And, you know, I look back on it we now. Were gonna, we were going to make that the title of this show, The yeah, Catholic Church Satan, yeah. of Satan, but we decided not to. So, yeah. <laughs> it's or a, Babylon. <laughs> something like that. And that, well, I mean, that was the one I was going to use, too. Um, you know, but, but I remember that happening. And I look back on it now, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, who was he talking to, really? Because, I mean, in our little town, I didn't even know but of maybe one other Catholic family in town. I mean, we weren't Catholic, of course, but I knew of one Catholic family in town and, and just couldn't figure out why would he say those sorts of things. And so, you know, the, the kind of the idea that he went with, the best I can remember is, is that it, it's not a good place. It, matter of fact, the, the Catholic Church really is going towards hell and towards Satan and doing the, the bidding of, of hell, and they don't even know that they are. Hmm. And so one of the reasons I was given was, was this, this kind of um, suspicious feel to it that there's something wrong over there, and it's something really bad wrong. And so just don't even look into that. Yeah, I think that also I met a lot of objections I've heard to the Catholic faith, um, teaching RCAA from people who are Protestant coming in and open and questioning about it is the fact of like, is the Catholic Church biblically based? And so uh, I think that we all know that Catholics sometimes have a bad uh, reputation for not knowing the Bible, not knowing their faith. And so a lot of Protestants, especially looking on the outside in, um, especially they start seeing all these customs and all these, the rituals of our faith, the way in which we celebrate mass, which is like being overlooked overloaded and blitzed by all this information that we have that like you're standing up, you're sitting down. So it's very, like when you walk into a Catholic church the very first time, if you're not exposed to that as a child, it is overwhelming as well as that it's uh, uncomfortable. Like, and then sometimes if the, uh, if the Catholic community is not very warm and welcoming, like it's even mm. more off-putting because like everyone else knows what's going on and yet a person coming on the outside is like, this is super weird, it seems cultish. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I remember um, also thinking 
uh, at least the first time I was experiencing Catholicism, um, was that the prayers were, were rote prayers or, or prayers that were written down and that, that Catholics didn't really know how to pray with God. They didn't have a real relationship with Him. And so the, there was no reason to become, you know, one of the reasons why you wouldn't want to become Catholic is, is if you have a good prayer life, if you have a, a prayer life where you actually pray what we call extemporaneous prayer, the, the idea that we're, we're praying to God from our heart, that, that lots of times Catholics or most Catholics didn't pray from their heart. They had to have a book to pray to him. And how impersonal that seemed. I think, too, um, also we're, we're, we're Catholic in America is the name of, of this show. And you're watching a show with three Catholic priests. Um, so, so we are all, all Catholic. And we'll get to our own conversion stories as well, how we became Catholic. But I think it brings up, too, just just in a sense that that um, there's something challenging and 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 it's it's not necessarily kind of normal to the American experience as well. I mean, just, just the, the, the Catholic thing, you know, prayers in Latin or a liturgy that's not, that's not sort of just generated towards, you know, kind of you know, the American Protestant uh, um, um, sort of experience. So in a sense, there's some things that are mysterious or, or difficult because the church, it's a 2,000-year-old church, and we can get in, in, into kind of the history with that too. A 2,000-year-old church that didn't start 50 years ago or didn't start 100 years ago or didn't start 200 years ago when our country started. So in a sense, there's this this sort of ancient reality that, that you're experiencing anytime you walk into a Catholic church, whether it's a beautiful cathedral with amazing music or a small, simple parish with not the greatest music in the world, um, it, that, that it's the same mystery that's being celebrated. And sometimes that can be sort of jarring for people to say, like, why would I you know, why would I have to learn a new language, so to speak? Mm -hmm. um, you don't have to learn a new language to become Catholic, but but in order to worship God. You don't speak Latin? Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, think, I, I think also another thing, which is a major uh, block or a stumbling block for many people when they're approaching the Catholic faith, is the notion of that, okay, well, over the 2,000 years of history, the Catholic Church has added on a lot of stuff. Mm. And like, mm -hmm. so this notion that we need to go back to a more simpler church, a simpler time, a simpler gospel, um, and with all this, this movement back towards the simplicity of the pure gospel, the pure gospel of Jesus that he preached. Jesus didn't preach uh, having gold crucifixes. He didn't preach having grand cathedrals and things like that. So like going back to the simple gospel, why do you have all these dogmas and doctrines and like you've, you've overcomplicated the Christian faith, you've over overcomplicated the gospel. We need to go back down to the simplicity of the gospel. And so when you look at like the code of ethics in the Catholic Church, the catechism, the creed, all these different things, like it's just like it's overwhelming for a lot of people. Mm. Yeah, and another one I hear too is is corruption. Good old fashioned oh, yeah. corruption. You know, the, the Catholic Church is corrupt from the inside. There's secret organizations, there's secrecy to this thing. And if you look through the Catholic Church, you have this this big long history of just doing the wrong thing, constantly trying to hmm. hide things from people, constantly mismanaging money or, or listening to emperors or kings way too much or kind of in, indulging in the culture maybe too much or even building up its own kingdom itself through indulgences and those sorts of things. And so just the idea of corruption that, that the church just is corrupt in and of itself and it just can't help itself I think too any any one of like kind of the areas of struggle that people that bring uh, objections to Catholicism any one of them can be be its own show and we're gonna have more more episodes to kind of unpack some of these things but some of the theological differences you know people see an emphasis on Mary or people see um, uh, the Pope having being able to rule infallibly on, on matters of faith or, or morals or our teachings on the Eucharist or uh, people uh, one of the big ones call no man father you know right. you know th these sorts of things it's 
Father Doug, Father Tom, and Fa Father Michael. And, and, and so these sort of theological objections, a lot of times I think they've been, been uh, taught to people or they've learned it. And a lot of Catholics haven't heard the reasons behind it. So many times the objection that people have is they've met Catholics and the Catholics didn't have a good defense of their faith. They didn't have a good reason for, for believing what they believe. And, if, and, mm -hmm. and you're like, well, I talked to a Catholic and they didn't know. Right. So obviously this, this whole thing is, is kind of a house of cards. Yeah, there's not I, a good I, I, reason. Yeah. That, that experience mm -hmm. can really be off-putting for people. Yeah, I mean, and, and actually that, that was, you know, an experience I had with the Catholic was, was that, um, you know, when you would ask specific questions, when you'd start going a little bit more specific as a as a non-Catholic, as a Protestant, that, that usually you start getting down into the weeds with them. And, and a lot of Catholics didn't have answers for it. I remember in college, a, a girl that I was talking to, she was telling me that the Catholic Church believes everything I believe, but more. And so I would ask something like, so, so what's the more? And she'd say, well, we have more books than you do in the Bible. And I'd say, well, why do you have that? And she'd say, we just do. You know? <laughs> and so, and so was, when I was getting to those kind of things, of course, it created curiosity in me. But there were some people that might hear that that it may not. It may be very off-putting that you don't really know why. And, and you automatically go to, there's, then there's not a good reason why. Yeah. So we, we talked a little bit about objections and again there could be a lot more maybe people that are watching or listening have have some objections but what we're going to get to next is some of the surprising reasons that people are becoming Catholic. It might be surprising um, for, for people yeah. to hear that there are a lot of people who grew up non-denominational or evangelical Protestant or Assembly of God or, yeah. or the, you know, the whole list of different denominations that are becoming Catholic. And even some um, Protestant pastors, as we actually have one here, here, here with us, um, who can share his own experience. So we're gonna take a quick break, but when we come back, we're gonna dive more into the surprising reasons why people are becoming Catholic. Hey guys, thanks for checking out Catholic in America. I'm Father Michael Nixon, and I like to party. <laughs> <laughs> and I am Father Tom Dillon, uh, priest here in the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee. I think I have the longest hair in the, probably the state, and uh, I too like to party. I like whiskey and cigars. Father Doug Martin, I'm also a priest here in the Diocese of Pensacola, Tallahassee, and I'm married and roll tide. Oh my goodness. Uh, yes, yeah. sir. <laughs> I was okay with the being married part. Yeah. Real tie thing. <laughs> in Catholic in America, we engage the intersection between faith and culture. Tune in every week because no topic is out of bounds. We want to thank you so much for supporting this show by watching it, by liking, sharing, and subscribing. How else can they support the show? You can also become a patron on Patreon and support us financially. So if you support us, there's all kinds of swag. There's t-shirts, there's coffee mugs, or maybe bumper stickers. I don't know, maybe we could come up with a wig from Father Tom. <laughs> Father Tom wig would go, go a long way. So thanks for your support. God bless y'all and check us out next time on Catholic in America.
Welcome back to Catholic in America. Please like, share, and subscribe. So we've been talking about uh, the many the many reasons why people wouldn't become Catholic. Why they, you know <laughs> some of the bad news <laughs> within that, which yeah. which there's many reasons there. But let's talk a little bit about the why. Why are people becoming Catholic? What why are what are the reasons that you're seeing in your own ministry, your own life as a priest? Uh, we'll get to our own experience later on in the show of becoming Catholic. Uh, but yeah, some some of those reasons that people have for deciding to take those steps towards entering into full communion with the Catholic Church? Um, I'd say, actually, surprisingly, a major reason why I see people coming into the Catholic Church, and this is an RCA and also in just um, conversations, um, is the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's the actual... Surprisingly. The thing, surprisingly, the thing that we're sometimes hit on the most, Got which it right is here in front the Holy of me Word, for, for the scriptures. <laughs> but uh, when people read the Bible, and especially when people like read the Bible in its entirety, they use like the Bible timeline, which they read the Bible for the first time as opposed to just hearing snippets of it. But then as they start reading the Bible, this was actually uh, Scott Hahn, who's a real famous apologist, um, was originally a Protestant pastor. And if I remember correctly from his, uh, his own conversion story, he was going to disprove the Catholic Church. And so he decided that he was going to use the scriptures and he was going to reuse, go piece by piece to the Catholic Church and the Catholic faith to show why the Catholic Church was not the actual Church of Christ. And by reading the Church Fathers and then reading the interpretation of scripture from the early Church Fathers from the first, second, third centuries, and then also reading the entirety of the scriptures themselves, uh, Scott Hahn studied his way into the Catholic faith mm. and moved from being actually a um, Protestant pastor to becoming a hardcore Catholic, now a Catholic evangelist, Catholic apologist. And that's the beauty, like, as Catholics, I think that it's important, like, people don't realize how much of our faith is scripturally based. Every, like, it's sort of like when, uh, when you write papers, you know how, remember how you had to source papers? Yeah. Catholics, I think that we're really bad at telling people our sources. It's almost like yeah. we plagiarize, but like, because yeah. everything in the Mass that we do is scripturally based. Almost every single prayer that we have in the Mass comes from a piece of Scripture. People don't know, though, when we hold up the Eucharist, that yeah. this is the words of John the Baptist. Mm -hmm. right. They the don't realize that the people's yeah. response yeah. to when I hold up the Eucharist that this is the response of the Roman centurion from Scripture. Like every single piece of our Mass is rooted firmly in the Bible and firmly in Scripture. We just don't tell people that. And most Catholics don't know that too. No, so if you don't. ask them, they'd be like, I don't read the Bible. So, so yeah, so that, that is probably one of, one of the surprising reasons why many people who are serious Christians, serious about their faith, serious about Jesus, are becoming Catholic is is this deeper experience of kind of following uh, where, where the Bible leads, which we would say to the Catholic Church. I think another one is, and, and this one is a little bit surprising too, is history. I mean, the, just the study in, of, of the church itself. And um, when you go back into earlier writings of the church, I mean, starting at the first century after the Bible, you know, after the biblical era, and you start getting into the, the Antinicene fathers, or, the, you know, the fathers that are there uh, in the early church, first through the fifth centuries, you start seeing a different church than maybe what you're seeing in, in our day. And, and mm. specifically, if you're not a Catholic, you start seeing those sorts of things. But as a Catholic, when you when you start reading into church history, the first five centuries, the first 10 centuries, the first 15 centuries, you see a lot of what you see in the Catholic church now, in, in sometimes in seedling forms, sometimes in early growth, but you definitely see it all throughout church history. And I, I, you know, I think for, for some who have not studied anything past their own 
church's history. So if you're a Methodist or a Presbyterian or a Lutheran, if you haven't studied beyond that, in other words, more than 500 years in the past, then you may be surprised at what you find in there because in lots of, of Protestant churches, lots of non-Catholic churches, there's this, um, there's this real suspicion of the early church that you start seeing in Scripture how the church kind of starts falling off the rails. Paul keeps having to get on you know, to the Galatians, to the Corinthians, to all of these different groups. And so the idea is you know, sometimes that very early on the whole thing just fell apart. Mm. And it fell apart for years and kind of stumbled its way through history until finally, you know, someone kind of picked it up and put it back together and began to use it again. And that's often the argument that, you know, Lutherans make and Calvinists make. Who was the Holy um, Spirit during all that time? Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot of stuff going on that time. That's why it's called the Dark Ages and not the Middle Ages, you know. It's because uh, these were times that where the Christian faith was suppressed and humanity and, and intellectualism was suppressed. And so this, this idea that, that history is, is opposed to it, the more you study it, the more you start to begin to look at it, the more you realize, no, there, there's a, a vibrant faith that's there. Um, and, and not just the seeds of the church, but it's growing into maturity into what we, what we see today. And lots of times when you walk into a Catholic church, you see some of those things that are there. I mean, just looking back at the early liturgies of the church and seeing all that's there that's still retained in, in Catholic liturgies today in the Mass. I've, I've been surprised. Um, I studied history in college. Well, I got a history degree in college, so let me put it that way. And, like, <laughs> how often our treatment of history is is kind of like that flippant sort of like, well, that was the Dark Ages. Like, you could yeah. basically, you could say whatever you want about the, the Middle Ages or the Dark right. Ages or any of those time periods, and people would believe you. You'd be like, well, they right. used to do this back then. Be like, yeah, those crazy times, you know? <laughs> um, you know, so, so this kind of misunderstanding of like, you know, no, we know what happened then. We know, right. you know, we, this isn't some sort of just blank, yeah, you know, we, we have no idea. It's yeah. written down. <laughs> yeah. you, know, the, and, you know, the Dark Ages, there weren't cavemen and women, you know, <laughs> knocking sticks. They were building Notre Dame Cathedral, right. you, know, you, you know, during that time. So there's a vibrancy and a richness. It might be different than our experience. Sure. But I think, too, when people see, uh, you mentioned a couple times, the church fathers. Yeah. So, you know, in the first, second, and third century, um, the ones who knew the apostles were, were discipled by the apostles yeah. and are the first ones to, to witness to the faith in systematic ways. You start to see, like, oh, the way that they worship. And I think that, that would be one of the things that, that I've seen why people become Catholic is they, they come to know our understanding of the Eucharist, the yeah. Eucharist as the body and blood of the Lord, the Lord's Supper, which um, is, that, that is not symbolic for us, but the actual experience of, of, of receiving Jesus, his body, blood, soul, and divinity. Yeah. And they begin to see that this is consistent with Scripture, it's consistent with the fathers of the church, it's consistent with you know, the history. And uh, they desire that. They have, a, right. they have a hunger for that. And, and that to me is because if you love Jesus and Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, then you, you want to enter into that. You want, you want to fully enter in. And so I've seen so many people start that journey towards becoming Catholic because they've fallen in love with what we worship at, at the Mass and celebrate with the Eucharist. Right. And when you go into the, to the early church itself, you know, um, one of the statements I used to hear all the time was, was the water's purest, you know, closest to the source. And so hmm. it's the idea that the, the closer you get to the source, the more pure what you believe or what you think is there. And oftentimes, it's almost as if the source is cut off 
you know, right after the, the Bible, the, the, at least the record that we have in Scripture is written. And so all, you know, all that happens, at, you know, from 100 to 1500 is, is just not there. It's not a part of the source. And then you finally pick it back up in the, in the 1500s, 1600s. And I think this idea that the water is purest to the source being cut off so early is kind of a problem. I mean, I, I mm. think, you, you know, if you, if you follow that stream all the way through the history of the church, yeah, you can see, you know, the first, second, third, fourth, fifth centuries, the seedlings of what we're talking about. But you see it very clearly, very vividly. Um, doesn't mean that there's not argumentation for it. Doesn't mean that there's not disagreements about it. But but some of the things that you see there, I think, would really surprise a, a non-Catholic or a, or a Protestant as to what you do see and just how much it does look like the Catholic Church today. Yeah. Had a very famous um, Protestant theologian as I was coming into the church. He wasn't. He wasn't famous at the time, but he has since become famous. And I remember him telling me one time, really off-putting to me, he said, you know, the more I read the church fathers, the more I hate them. And I was like, <laughs> wow. You know, I mean, to me, that was very telling of, of some of the things that you hear if you're not Catholic. Because they're basically describing, if you hear like Ignatius of Antioch, yeah. describe the, the, the worship the, litur- the, the liturgy, the, 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 sun- the Sunday the service, you know, you know it, it would yeah. look a lot like the Catholic service. Sure. It would look like, you know, reading the Old Testament, reading the epistles, reading, you know, yeah. proclaiming the gospel and receiving Jesus in the Holy Eucharist. And we truly believe this is his body and blood. So th- there, there's a, you see that and it can be a challenge if you're not living that way to say yes. like, well, let, let's just toss, toss the whole thing out. Yeah. One of the things, too, I think, and, and, and maybe this kind of ties into some of the objections we talked about, the attraction can be for the fact that there is a clear authority within the church. Yeah. Um, now, we, we all recognize that, that in and of ourselves, that no one, no, one, <laughs> no man within the church, no, no leader, no, no bishop or priest is morally perfect or has all the answers or always says the right thing. But we if believe you don't it, believe them, just talk to them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, just talk to us. Yeah, yeah, you know, take but, but that there is this clear authority that Jesus instituted Peter and the apostles in communion with Peter as, as the first pope that, that we call. So there's, there's a stability within the teaching of the church that really the, the, there's been growth and there's been a maturation, but it has remained really unchanged fundamentally for the 2,000 years that we've been in existence. Even with really uh, corrupt popes or, or, or really terrible priests or bishops or, or, or lay people too, that, that the integrity of the faith has, has maintained through all these years. Well, I think that it also parallels because the authority of the church, the authority of the Pope is oftentimes people find that to be kind of confining. So mm-hmm. like, okay, well, I have to believe what the Pope says. Actually, and as we know, not everything the Pope says is dogmatic or doctrinal. It's only when he speaks from the chair of Peter and there's, again, very clear uh, checks and balances on the power of the Pope. We know when he does it. Absolutely, yes. absolutely. And that's why not every yeah. time that Francis speaks, Pope Francis, I'm sorry, uh, yeah. Pope Francis speaks. You're on a first name basis. <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Not every time that <laughs> he speaks. Anytime Frank says something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, but there's also, there's like, there's a constricting and there can sometimes be a fear of, I think there is like this fear of, I'm gonna be constricted in my faith. I'm gonna be constricted in my faith if I have to believe what the church says on this, uh, this, this. So there's, there's the fear, but then on the opposite side of the fear though, with comes with knowledge and I say the Holy Spirit, is then also the, the benefit of what that confinement means because you also find safety. Hmm. It, like being confined is like when you're being held by your father. Yeah. Like when you're ha- like when my when like my uh, my nieces or my nephews are having like a temper tantrum and like they're, they're out of control. Like, but then my brother will come in or one of my, my, st- my uh, brother-in-law will come in, we'll hold them. 
Like it's that, that confinement mm. of that protection which happens when you have an authority which is able to sometimes confine you, but it's for your, it's out of love. And so within the teaching of our church, we also find the, the authority of the church is, yes, it confines you, but it also protects. Especially in the chaotic world that we live in, one of the reasons why I see a lot of people coming to the church is that they are looking for that stability. Mm. They're looking for that safety. They're looking for consistency. Because yeah. the, the word, the scriptures are beautiful, but the problem is, is that the word must be interpreted. Yeah. And if, if individuals, if we each individually can interpret the word for ourselves, as we all know, like it's not easy to interpret the scriptures. But there's that, that, that notion of where's the stability, where's the consistency, and that's where you do find that although, yes, there's a constriction, there's a confinement in the way in which we teach the truth in the Catholic Church, but there's also stability and safety there. So it's a, going back to like what I said at the very beginning, it's like people find the church, Catholic Church, to be uncomfortable at first. Like, and so there's, there's a discomfort in it. But once you get accustomed to it and once you understand the reasoning for why I'm uncomfortable, you realize, oh my gosh, this is, there's something beautiful and there's something safe here. And I think that's some of the reason why people become Catholic as well is the beauty is the idea of the, the, the beauty that you see sp that's expressed in the, the liturgy and the mass itself that you see in the in the prayers and the devotions of the Catholic Church and the, the architecture. I mean, you look at the, the beautiful churches that we have. I mean, now, you know, here in America, maybe not <laughs> maybe not as much, but there are beautiful churches here too. But but just the beauty that, that you see that that's there and that was uh, created by all these people. The music, I mean, when someone listens to, you know, Gregorian chant or they listen to some of these ancient hymns, they just see the, the not only the beauty, not just beautiful itself. I mean, because I think we're fooling ourselves if we think it's just that, that the music flows so well and I really like that, but the beauty of the faith itself, how it's expressed, this deep faith that was expressed from the beginning on and on and on through all of these people that, that just is such a, an appeal to people that I'm joining something that's not just today, that's not just in you know from my family, it's not just a hundred years ago, but there's something ancient about this. There's something that, that's it's, it's bigger than I am. It's yeah. bigger than me. And it's more, yeah. you know, and it's more in, inclusive in that way than me. I think too, that, that notion of beauty as a reason for coming into full communion with the Catholic Church. We'll talk a minute just about what exactly that, that kind of looks like for people who are maybe have been baptized, have a faith in Jesus, have, have a relationship with the Lord, but want to maybe pursue entering full communion. The beauty of the lives of those who have lived the Catholic faith well, yeah. what we call the saints. Um, you know, the, the saints, in a sense, if you want to see the effectiveness of a church, See who's you can look at who's doing it poorly, which yeah. you know we've got we've got a whole bunch of those. We'll whole bunch of examples. We're, we're, <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the biggest sinner that I'm I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But to look at those who have done it, who've, who've lived their faith to the full, the great saints in the history of the church, a Saint Catherine of Siena, or Saint Therese of Lisieux, or Saint Francis of Assisi, um, uh, Saint Augustine, Saint John Chrysostom. You know, throughout the whole history of the church up into the modern modern age, where, where men and women. Even children have lived this faith heroically, sometimes suffered for it and even died for it. In a sense, the, the beauty of their lives to me is such a, a profound testimony to the, the power and, and the attraction of the Catholic Church. 
So what we'll do right now, I, I, I would love to, to kind of hear um, our own conversion story. I'd love to hear from, from Father Doug uh, about you becoming, obviously you were a, 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 you were a Protestant minister mm-hmm. and, and ordained in, 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 in the church and, and made the journey across the Tiber, yes. uh, which is the, the river outside of Rome and into the Catholic Church. But, but that process of becoming Catholic, what does that usually look like for people who maybe are asking these questions? You mentioned RCIA a few times, which is one of those great Catholic acronyms that, that we have a bunch of them. We have a bunch of them, you know, so, so the the process of someone who's, who's already been baptized of of them entering into full communion with the Catholic church, what, what what does that look like? Yeah. I I mean, you know, I think for, for, you know, someone who's a non-Catholic, who's a Christian, who's wanting to, to enter the church. I mean, you know, it usually comes with a a time of questioning, a, a period of, of the opportunity to ask all those questions that you have. And and so, you know, the, the truth of the matter is, and this is what I tell people who's in this RCIA program, um, you know, the one thing that I try to tell them is, is you're never going to stop asking questions. And so what you have to do is, is you have to ask those questions that are, are, are the most important things and are the things that are really maybe holding you back from being Catholic because there's all those sorts of things. Now, now once you become Catholic, again, there's always going to be things to learn. There's always going to be things that, that come up that, that you really have a question about and you're not sure about, but they're not deal breakers. And so if you're seeking the Catholic Church, if you're really wanting to come into the Catholic Church and you're, you're feeling a strong call to it, whether it's through the things we've been talking about or something else, usually it's those big things that you really want to get those you, know, you really want to work through those things because until you overcome them, you, you really can't come in and, you know, you really can't come into communion with the Catholic Church. Yeah, and kind of picking up on the same theme, I would say for, especially for people who are looking in and curious about what is the Catholic Church, asking the question, what is stopping me from being Catholic? Yeah. Mm, and then actually it. looking at the actual answers as opposed to the straw men answers. And that's where in society, new Catholics, Catholics themselves oftentimes don't know the answers, the lay Catholics, although I know many lay Catholics who do know the answers, so yes. that's better than some priests. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but asking the question, just a very simple, what is stopping me from being Catholic? So is it the Catholic Church's teachings on Mary? Is it the Catholic Church's teachings on faith and scripture and the relationship? Is it the Catholic Church's teachings on grace? Is it the Catholic Church's uh, way in which they pray? Like, is it the liturgy? Is it the, the mass? Like, is it the Catholic Church's teachings on the Eucharist? Like, on the real presence of Christ and what looks like bread? Like, what is it that is actually stopping? And then actually investigating those actual answers. Hmm. And so, like, diving into those answers as opposed to the straw men that you're going to get, that you're going to read on Reddit. <laughs> so, right, right, like, don't right. don't rely upon Reddit or upon yeah. Google because any every, every I mean everyone is a hack theologian. Sure. Go to the actual teachings and find out what does the Catholic Church actually teach. Because I've actually only encountered a few people who, when I explain to them Mary, what the Church yeah. actually teaches about Mary, they're like, oh, well, that's what I believe the whole time. I'm like, yeah, that's because. Yeah. 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 The same thing with like almost all the teachings. Like that's when people understand the actual teaching, which is what apologetics means. Mm-hmm. So apologetics is not when I'm uh, when I'm an apologist or an apologetics, it's not the fact that I'm saying sorry for all the ways in which I'm wrong. It's actually I'm gonna say yeah. sorry, that's not actually what the Catholic Church actually teaches. Mm-hmm. Let me correct right. that and let me teach you that. Right. What it actually is. So learning what the Catholic Church actually lear- means, I say is the first step on kind of growing and seeing do I want to become Catholic. Yeah. Yeah, and RCIA is just really the rite of Christian initiation. In other words, um, it, it's the learning of the faith and the, the process of becoming Catholic itself all the way to the point of receiving 
either baptism, which most, if you're, if you're not a Catholic and you're a Christian, you've been baptized for the most part. And so the process may look a little bit different, but the process it usually involves some, some instruction and learning and, and, you know, being able to ask these questions, also being taught the history of the church, the understanding of the sacraments and kind of the logic of the church as well, because mm -hmm. the one thing that I really found, you know, at least in my own conversion, we'll talk about it in a minute, of course, but was the logic of things that, that there was a sense to this. It wasn't something that was just being told, do this, and there's no real reason for it, but there was actual reasons for it. And that's what was so satisfying, at least to my mind and my intellect, was is that, no, there's a reason for this, and not just a, a reason, but a very good reason. But, you know, and at the end of this process, usually you're received into the Catholic Church lots of times by the bishop, and, and you're at that point, you become a full member of the Catholic Church, usually involving going to confession, receiving communion. Sometimes it means having a marriage validated. And so, you know, that's kind of the process that someone goes through to, to, to come into the church through RCIA. There's a lot of details in there, but that's basically it. Yeah, and I think, too, that recognizing that, and to me, the best uh, stories of people coming into full communion with the church are people who are in love with Jesus. Yeah. And they're following Jesus wherever he leads. And, that, and as surprising as it might be that he's leading to the church that he founded, the Catholic Church. Yeah. And to, to see that and to experience the depths of their love for Jesus and th that it grows as they become Catholic and receive the sacraments yeah. and, and become members of the, of the church is, is really beautiful and amazing. So I want to jump into our, our own stories, kind of our own condensed. Obviously, we, we, we can't get into, uh, into all of them. So, so for... Uh, I grew up non-Christian. My family converted. Uh, you, you grew up Protestant, converted, yes. and you were Catholic who reverted to Catholicism. So the, 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 the three-minute uh, kind of uh, condensed versions of us coming into the Catholic Church. We'll start with you, Father Doug. Okay. Um, was born and raised United Methodist into a, a, a very Christian home, a very loving home. And so as a Catholic, I look back on my upbringing with a lot of fondness and a lot mm. of of, of thankfulness for the way that I was raised because I was really led to our Lord Jesus Christ. I was I was taught how to pray. I mean, I've said several times to people, there's never been a moment in my life that I didn't know who Jesus was. And so I give thanks and praise for, for that upbringing. Um, wanted to be, felt a strong call in high school to be a Methodist minister. And so went to a Methodist college while I was there, started uh, doing something that was very dangerous, which was I started taking a church history course. <laughs> and, you know, um, what is it, John, St. John Henry Newman that says to delve into histories to cease to be Protestant. So that's the reason why it is kind of dangerous to start studying church history and to, to really look back into it. Um, but as I began, I also encountered uh, the very same Dr. Scott Hahn. Um, I encountered uh, him uh, not only you know in videos and tape as a person as well. I got to spend a little bit of time with him, and so for the next seven years, uh, I worked through lots of, of detailed questions of my own, lots of of thoughts of I can't do that. I mean, I, I remember say, thinking to myself, I, just, I mean, I can't be Catholic. I, just, I, I can't do that. And just fight, you know, overcoming some of that mental block as to why I couldn't do it. Um, and, and ultimately, as I was doing it, as I was struggling, it felt like quicksand. You know, the more you struggle, the more you go deep into this thing. And so the more I struggled, the more I fell in love with, with Jesus and his church. The more I, I come to realize that, that the Catholic Church was the church that Jesus Christ had founded. And I would say, you know, probably the biggest hurdle that I had to overcome that was with me the entire seven years would have been authority. And the idea that that the church, you know, the church has the right to to 
you know, interpret scripture, to, to lead us in a particular way, and, and ultimately trying to overcome the idea of the papacy itself, the Pope itself. And at the, at the moment that I really received that our Holy Father is a successor of St. Peter and that this is the way Jesus meant for it to be and set it up that way. And we're going to talk about that in another show, I'm sure. But that, that this is the way it was set up. When I finally came to the realization that that was it, well, there's only one place where that is. Hmm. And so it all fell in the line and made sense. This is where I needed to be. This is home for me. So that's when I when I came to the church. So you were going through this process while you were preparing to be a minister. I was. I was preparing to be a. Um, as I was going through this process, I I kind of went through several theological evolutions, if you will. I, I from the Methodist Church, I had become um, what's a, a, known as a, a Calvinist, which is a, a, a Reformed term. And um, if you don't know what that is, look it up. We don't have time to, to get into all the details of that. But um, became a Calvinist and became very anti-Catholic at that point. I wasn't growing up, but became very anti-Catholic at that point. And that's what became such a hurdle for me. But as I did, I, I, there was because of my Methodist upbringing. We had I had a very I went to a very liturgical church. I mean, most Methodist churches were, you know, in the seventies and eighties and nineties. Um, you know, every week we said the Glory Be, the the um, the Apostles' Creed, and the and Our Father. And so that was every week. I knew all of those things when I came in. And so I really, um, as I started to experience um, non-liturgical forms of worship, I really found myself being called back into that that liturgical form of worship. So I joined uh, the Episcopal Church because I felt like in the Episcopal Church or the Anglican Church, basically the same thing, I really felt like that I could be as Catholic as I wanted to be, mm. and I didn't have to become Catholic. So it's the perfect place for an American Protestant. You know, you, <laughs> you get to choose what you want, and, and you get to you know own the the things you like, and maybe not everything. Um, and so all the stuff you want, none of the stuff you don't. That's right. right. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Maybe that should be the yeah. the appeal to it. Yeah. <laughs> so I went to a a, um, a, a a an Episcopal seminary. Um, Went through three years, got my master's, of course, in, in divinity, um, and was ordained into the mainline Episcopal Church. Um, and after becoming a, a, an Episcopal priest, I thought I had gone far enough. Um, but man, just some of the things that I dealt with as an Episcopal priest, um, ideas of, of morality, liturgical uh, expressions that I was uh, encountering, and then um, also still dealing with this idea of authority um, I really came to a point, uh, it, was, it was a crossroads and a crisis for me. Um, I really came to a point where I realized I, I needed to become Catholic. Um, and so that meant leaving my, my priesthood behind as an Episcopal priest. Really didn't know what I was going to do. And so I, I went to work in odd jobs, working in warehouses. Mm -hmm. gave, up, gave up quite a bit to, to become Catholic. And so for about 10 years, really struggled, not just... Um, not just you know, emotionally, but um, really didn't struggle that way as far as being Catholic, but really struggled financially, career-wise. I mean, because I saw myself as being a, a priest, a professional, you know, um, if you will, uh, priest. And that was what all my education was towards. That's what my hmm. calling was towards. And so there was a certain sense that I felt a little lost after I left the priesthood. Even when I came into the Catholic Church, I wasn't for sure what God was calling me to. And of course, it took me 10 years to finally realize that, you know, he was calling me to Catholic priesthood. Um, and, and, you know, ultimately I, I received that call and the rest is history. Here I sit. Nice. Yes. That's beautiful. So Father Tom, for you growing up Catholic and what you, what you would describe as a reversion. 
Yeah, I, uh, so I was, I was raised Catholic, born Catholic. Uh, my father was a uh, Presbyterian convert who'd married my mom and uh, he had become Catholic. And so I was raised in a Catholic environment, although my father's side of the family is still very, very, very Protestant. Uh, my grandfather's actually, I believe, still a deacon in the uh, uh, Presbyterian church. But uh, growing up, like I was, we kind of had the classic American Catholic church, like went, went, to, went to church every week. Um, but then I also kind of ended up with the classic American experience is that my parents got divorced. Mm. And during this period of divorce, and it was a pretty bad divorce, um, for about a period of like four years, I remember being like 13, 14, 13 years old, and just being so angry with God. And, and as well as that I had never had an encounter with him. Like I, I'd, I'd encountered the church, encountered ethics and teachings and gone to mass every week, but I'd not ever had really, I couldn't recognize that point in my life um, that I had ever reckoned, that I had ever encountered God. Mm. And even if the, the things which I suspected, I couldn't, I didn't know if it was real or not. And then my parents divorce and like my family all of a sudden fell apart. And so like I'm, for about probably four years, like I was a practical agnostic at best. Um, and if there was any, maybe even tinging on atheism, because I had so much anger that if there was a God, then I was like, well, why are you allowing these evil things to happen? So like my understanding, my God image during that, especially my teenage years, was either that God was either an absentee father or he was a neglect or that he was a malicious one who was inflicting sufferings and punishments on people who didn't deserve it. So like my, I just kind of washed my hands of faith and washed my hands of the church. I still went to church because I didn't want to deal with my mom. Yeah, um, yeah that's <laughs> right, that's right. Who is, uh, uh, who I think Jim Gaffigan refers to as, she was a Shiite Catholic, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, I still went to church and not things like that, but I mean, I was just, I mean, I was looking, as most teenage boys, I was just looking around the church and daydreaming or checking out the girls, and I was just like, well, I don't want anything to do with this God. Hmm. Um, but I can also say it was the darkest, the three darkest years of my entire life were dark, dark depression, which was from the family stuff, but I can also see, and I know now, it was also because I had no, no relationship with God. Hmm. Um, so it wasn't until I was um, 18 that I had an opportunity that it opened up to actually go to Rome to be trained as a tour guide for the Vatican. So there was this opportunity that opened up. My mom told me about it, and not my eight, my 17-year-old brain at the time was like, oh, I'm going to go to Rome, going to party. Yeah. I was like, I know there's beautiful Italian women, and I know that the drinking age is 18, so I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm going over, oh, yes, I signed me up. I was like, and I'll be the, get the hell out of America. Uh, when I got there... Uh, I didn't, and I kind of jumped in with both feet without looking, which is, uh, you guys know me, so you're not surprised by that. <laughs> I didn't really plan anything, I just kind of showed up. And when I showed up there, I found myself in a, uh, yeah, working for the Vatican for Centro San Lorenzo, the Vatican Youth Center, but w I found myself living in a community, uh, which was called the Emmanuel Community, and mm. it's a charismatic community that's based out of France. and. Uh, it was my first encounter. I initially thought that they were all insane and crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, I've been familiar with the charismatic movement, and I also I was not pleased to find myself with a bunch of what I refer to as charismaniacs. Mm -hmm. uh, but as I encountered them, and after several weeks, as they started being vulnerable and opening up and sharing their faith with me, because I was kind of antagonizing them with, with the classic agnostic and atheist um, objections against God and all this, and they kept deflecting or actually answering my questions because they actually really knew their faith. Um, I realized shortly, about, probably about, it was about a month into it, I realized that many of them, I looked at Christianity and Catholicism in general before as being kind of superficial and shallow. 
and not being able to answer like the darker, the darker uh, things in life. And as I was talking with them, I realized that many of them had come from positions of drugs. Some of them had come from broken families. Some of them had come from, from abuse. And yet I recognized very quickly that they had something which I did not have, which mm -hmm. is that they had joy. And I knew it because when you see the light of joy in other people, and you see that they have joy and that they didn't have beautiful lives, but they had actually difficult lives and that they have joy. It was that which opened me up to praying for the first time. I finally opened up, it was about a month into the, uh, my trip there, that finally it was the witness of community. And that was, that's why I say it was, it was authentic Catholic community. Hmm. It was not the truth. I knew, I, knew, I knew all the teachings of the church. I mean, I, um, at that point, I mean, I knew a lot of them at least. I mean, not, not all that I learned in seminary, but generally speaking, I was well better catechized than the average Joe. Um, it wasn't the truth that brought me back. It was the Holy Spirit, mm. which was present. And it was my first encounter with the Holy Spirit. It was my first encounter with the Spirit of God, which was present in community that opened me up to being honest and vulnerable in prayer for the first time. I was like, I'll give this prayer crap one try. Yeah. <laughs> and when I opened myself up and was completely vulnerable, um, and it was pretty brutal. Like it was a it was a beautifully brutal moment mm. as I had my first encounter with specifically God the Father, who told me that I I, he, I was His son, who I had this moment in interior quiet prayer where God revealed Himself to me in a profound way, and that's when all of a sudden I was just like, oh my gosh, this is all true. Mm. Yeah. Um, Love it. Like my my life, I mean, it was it was a slow journey, eight years and ten years of for uh, to get to the. Priesthood after that, but I'd say that for me, the Catholic faith, um, I had walked, I had walked away, most certainly on the level of the heart, like I had walked away from it. But it was, it was just that that reversion where it was the first encounter with Christ. And that's why I would say there's lots of Catholics that I've met who know the faith, but they've not encountered Jesus, they've not mm -hmm. encountered the Father, they've not encountered the Holy Spirit. But once you encounter the Holy Spirit in the context of the Catholic community, like it, it's nothing like it. No, it's yeah. the best. Jeez, absolutely, it's the best. Jeez, yeah. Yeah, thank thank you guys. For, um, for my, myself, um, uh, my conversion is definitely part of my family's conversion. Uh, I grew up in a, in a non-Christian family. We were actually Hare Krishnas. Um, so if, you, if you don't remember Hare Krishnas, <laughs> uh, talk to your parents who were around in the 70s because they're they're more prevalent then. I think George Harrison's the most the most famous uh, Hare Krishna. Um, yeah. God rest his soul. Yeah. And uh, but so my family uh, again we're, we're in the, the the Hare Krishna movement. My parents lived in India for a long time. Um, we all had Hindu names. And it was only during a time of tragedy. Actually, my, my dad, uh, when I was very young, was arrested. And um, in that time when our family facing those incredible difficulties, my dad, while he was in prison, um, was uh, encountered the Lord for the first time. He had not grown up Christian, not grown up Catholic. And so he ended up becoming Catholic, encountered a lot of the saints and a lot of the, the truths of the faith and reading philosophy and, and, and theology and became Catholic. And so once he got out, he helped the whole family to enter into the Catholic Church. So I actually was baptized with all my siblings. Um, and so we went through that process of RCIA, of becoming Catholic, but as a family, um, which then w was a real beautiful gift because I think it kind of has always encouraged us to ask questions, to dig deep, to not just settle for superficial answers about our faith, um, to, to learn to pray together, even through very difficult times as a family. And so when people see our family now, they're like, oh man, your family's so prayerful or whatever. It's like, oh, we, we had to get through hell to get here. Um, but, but in a sense, just the, the, the simplicity, the simple beauty of the Catholic Church that we entered into, we entered, uh, and we were all brought into a church in Visalia, California, St. Mary's, um, was, was, was and continues to be such a gift that, that all of us 
um, now as adults, myself as a priest, my dad is now a deacon. Um, my, my mom's now, you know, now, now a, a leader in the church and does amazing things, um, uh, works with women in crisis pregnancies too, but also my siblings and their, with their families, just seeing their faith come alive is, is really powerful and beautiful. And, I, and it's so amazing that the Catholic Church becomes this unifying force for us, um, always challenging, but always, always inviting us to, 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 to grow in our relationship with the Lord. Excellent. Well, cool, guys. Well, I, I love that. Just kind of hearing a little bit of our story. Hopefully, we'll have more opportunities to, to unpack our stories a little bit more. And so just for all those who are watching, we thank you for, for tuning in. Hopefully, it's been an encouragement for you to check out the Catholic Church, to dive deep. If you want to reach out to us on um, on uh, through social media uh, or any way that we can help you in your journey, help connect you to, uh, to parishes and to the next step in faith. Uh, but again, as always, we're so grateful for you, for your support on Patreon, uh, for tuning in and for sharing these videos. And until next time, God bless you from us here at Catholic in America. Mm -hmm.